Hi, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Potted a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica. And today we'll be speaking with Caitlin Trainer, the founder and creator of Dancio. Dancio is a platform that provides online dance classes with some of the best teachers in the world. These are classes you can take on your own time from anywhere in the world. Dancio was recently written up in Point Magazine and has had more than 1,500 signups for a free bar class with Julie Kent in the past month and a half. Still in its early stages, Dancio has four ballet classes available with teachers Julie Kent, Carlos Lopez, Craig Hall, and Lauren King. Named as one of the 25 to watch in 2016 by Dance Magazine, Caitlin Trainer is a choreographer, performer, and the artistic director of Trainer Dance. She's also a member of the faculty at Barnard College, Columbia University. And Caitlin grew up in the small town of, <laughs> how do you say that? Situate. Okay. Situate, Rhode Island, before falling passionately in love with dance during her college years at Skidmore College. She received her MFA in dance in performance and choreography from Mills College in Oakland, California, before moving to New York City and performing for the Metropolitan Opera Ballet, Sean Curran and Tina Kroll. She acted as assistant choreographer to Mr. Curran and site-specific choreographer Stephen Koplowitz, contributing to the creation of Koplowitz's Informations at Lincoln Center. Trainer has taught at American Ballet Theater, Dance City in Newcastle, England, Montclair State University, American College Dance Festival, and Sarah Lawrence College. In addition to creating work on trainer dance, Caitlin has choreographed new work on Nakra Dance Company in Albany, New York, Polaris Dance in Portland, Oregon, and the students of Northumbia University in Newcastle, England, as well as Providence College in Rhode Island, and Murray State University in Georgia, and finally Kennesaw State University in Georgia. Trainer is currently a member and teacher at Rosie's Theater Kids, a nonprofit organization founded by Rosie O'Donnell that provides dance, theater, music, and life skills to kids who wouldn't otherwise have access. Notable collaborations include the creation of artificial IntelliDance with computer scientists Apuri Agarwal, a project that uses dance to explain a relatively sophisticated machine learning paradigm and talk radio with costumes by famed designer Christian Siriano. She was a nominee for the Emily Gregory Teaching Award at Barnard College, a student-selected teaching distinction, and is continually humbled by watching students unfold. Her current work focuses on the questions of immediacy and inevitability in art, with particular interest in game-based structures and audience-determined outcomes. All right. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So we'll start from the beginning like we do with all of our guests. So how did you get into dance and what was your training and background like? Okay. So as I said, as the bio said, I grew up in a small town called Situate. And I began dancing really in the kitchen as my father played classical music for an audience of my dolls and my dog. Uh, Later, I took classes at the local dance studio where there was jazz, tap, and ballet, um, which I enjoyed very much but had no idea that there was a possible future in dance for me. The studio was run by a person who was a former Miss Rhode Island and was very involved in pageant culture, and we had a lot of fun. We moved to popular music and had beautiful costumes and recitals and so on, but I 
didn't see any future as an adult in that. And so I went off to college and enrolled in a modern dance class at um, Providence College, where I began my academic career. And I decided that modern dance was boring and esoteric, and I didn't dance anything for two more years until I enrolled at Skidmore College. And I signed up for a jazz class with um, Deborah Fernandez, who became my teacher and mentor and longtime friend and continues to be a really important force in my life until this, to this day. Um, I kind of bravely declared dance as a major uh, um, or sort of ridiculously declared dance as a major and um, jumped into class with all of these young women who had been dancing their whole lives for you know, respectable institutions like Boston Ballet, um, and emerged, stumbled out two and a half years later with a degree in dance. Knowing I needed more education, I um, went off to Mills College to pursue a graduate degree in California, and I met my second important teacher, who was Mary Cochran. And she um, taught Taylor technique, of course, having been the star of the Taylor Company for so many years. And I loved the physicality and the musicality and the passion of that movement um, and the athleticism. And I think a lot of my um, ideas about movement stem from her teachings and that kind of form. Um, and then after Mills, I moved to New York to kind of slug it out in the professional world, which I've been doing for the past <coughs> number of years, <laughs> almost 20. Yeah. Um, so that's really amazing. And I have to say also brave of you to, as someone who is fairly new to um, a dance major, and although you have had a lot of dance background growing up, um, but you said compared to a lot of the students who have been dancing their whole lives, um, that have that has to take a lot of gumption from you and a lot of grit to say, like, I really want to do this and I'm going to stick myself next to these students who have been trained formally for so long. You know, I, I think there's something to be said for the foolhardiness of youth, but I do everything again the same way today. I, I guess, um, you know, the sort of vague humiliation of, being the worst one in class over and over didn't deter me from the joy and the pleasure and the interest that I derived from the movement itself. And I just couldn't get enough of it. And I think my teacher saw that. And so that was enough to make me feel welcome in the room. I guess I always had this sense of, um, what the hell? Let's just try it and see what happens. And I knew that most people didn't end up in a field in which they majored in college in their professional lives. So I thought, why not just major in something that I'm totally in love with and see what happens? So that's what I did. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great advice for life in general. Just do what you love doing and it just kind of works out the way you want it to. I think so. And when, you know, when young students ask me, should I pursue dance? I say, well, not if you have to ask because it is super hard and there is so much adversity and a lot of obstacle. But if you find gratification in that on that kind of primal level then the equation is already done yeah and then what was it like integrating into the new york dance scene oh <laughs> i think i you know was so i i was so naive and had no idea how it worked in most academic programs but certainly the ones in which i was immersed 
you're learning how to dance, which is not how to be a dancer. Um, and some places do teach that in one way or another, but the places where I was did not. And so I was in an incredibly kind of just naive and foolish young dancer. And I think I didn't really understand um, how much you need to bring to the table and how much preparedness and how much there's so much adversity for for the entire field. And the scarcity economy means that every minute of time for the choreographer in the space for any production is highly valuable. And I don't think I understood that you need to make yourself valuable and it doesn't matter that much how you dance or what kind of an artist you are. You need to bring some real value to the table. So it took me, I think, just trial and error to to really understand that. And New York was so big and um, I'm so grateful for the opportunities that I had. Um, each of them I learned from. And I think it was hard for me to also just the, the trend, the types of movement and the style that has dominated the New York dance scene for the last decade and a half while I've been here weren't necessarily aligned with my passions and interests as a dancer. And so navigating that and figuring out how to do work that was really different from the way that I was oriented was another challenge. Um, and, and fortunately, I got to work with some great people whose work did resonate for me. But, you know, it's true what they say about New York. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And and um, and all of that has been an incredibly valuable experience, but something that took time to flower for me. Yeah. I really like your use of the term bring value because – that is a common theme we've heard from so many of our interviewees and we can um, relate to this idea of like not being prepared for how you need to navigate the New York City dance scene and obviously technique is one thing but you know how you approach getting jobs and the landscape is totally different but I really again like your focus on value like in a way it's kind of like meeting a need like figuring out where you fit but making sure that you are maximizing each minute and each hour and you're being present and providing something um which you're absolutely right that is what new york wants from everyone <laughs> it, it wants you to maximize your output at all hours of the day it's a little overwhelming sometimes but it's the truth and and to bring that i think for artists, number one, we have so many feelings and so much, so much passion and all of that. And to really think strategically and and in this kind of return on investment um, mindset is perhaps something that feels uncomfortable to people. But if you're able to apply that to your art making, it's a, a great thing. And I know that as soon as I started choreographing. I started to really think about the value equation because I thought, okay, space is not free. Dancers are not free. Time is precious. So I, every rehearsal started challenging myself to how much can I make in this hour? Um, and I think for the last 15 years I focused on that just so that I could um, not waste anyone's time and essentially like have the greatest respect for everyone involved and it's been a really good exercise for me to just 
get out of the way of like, oh, let's luxuriate in the decision making process and just call it, make something and and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So how did the idea for Dancio come about? And what is the mission behind Dancio? Okay. As a choreographer, I need to be warm and prepared to get ready for creating, but I don't always have time to get to class. It takes a couple of hours. There's a commute. The schedule doesn't always work for whenever I have space. And so one day I was preparing for rehearsal and thought, gosh, you know, I don't know if I want to use my creative energy to warm myself up thinking about which sequence and what exercises I was going to do. I just wanted to outsource it and say, tell me what to do. But I thought, I'll just go to the computer and grab something from YouTube. There has to be a million classes. And there wasn't, which surprised me because I thought, are you kidding? YouTube has a bazillion videos and there's nothing good on here. And I kind of fell into the rabbit hole of trying to find something that would be suitable. Many of the classes were either poorly filmed or not of good quality instruction or they were mini excerpts or they were a form that didn't appeal to me. I thought this is crazy. So I spent, I think, a couple of hours and totally lost that rehearsal looking for a warm-up that day. And as I thought it over, I thought, well, I can make this. And I spent the following, well, since that time, which was 2014, four years ago, um, I started researching everything I could find out about business and film and dance and classes and everything relevant to the endeavor. And and um, here we are now. <laughs> wow. That surprises me, too, that there aren't more classes online. But that's funny. I've never really looked for that myself. There are a couple of resources out there. But one of the challenges I think that the people who have attempted this are up against is that dance essentially exists in a scarcity economy. And having the resources to launch strongly is a challenge and requires an entirely different mindset than the way that we're we tend to think as people involved in the nonprofit world and not only nonprofit but you know a form that's female ephemeral and and bodily in a culture that's you know materialistic patriarchal and and so on so essentially i think our idea of how to start something that can be consumed widely is needs to be kind of cracked open, and having the resources to do that is another challenge. Yeah, and it's so interesting given the history of ballet, which is based in mentorship and apprenticeship and a passing down of not just the technique itself, but even the manners and you know the way one should carry themselves in a public situation, this sort of like old school style of mentorship ballet. Mm -hmm. But I really love, it's almost a radical juxtaposition to take this kind of closed world and open it to people. And going back to your focus on value, um, what, who do you see benefiting from this class and do you see it reaching like all kinds of corners of the world? I sure hope so. Um, so we're starting with ballet, and it's an interesting juxtaposition. It's true because ballet did come down from the nobility, obviously a long and uh, varied history, but in many ways came from the upper class and remains uh, an elite 
activity. And the idea of giving access to people is really what Dancia was all about. So people that might not be able to afford class because the price is exclusive, which includes many, many aspiring dancers, people who may not be able to geographically access a class because Julie Kent isn't teaching in their neighborhood, or people who might not just be able to fit it in their schedules because life is busy and it's hard to pack it in. So the idea is to give access to everyone and eventually that the venture won't be limited to ballet by any means, but it will include many forms of dance, including modern, contemporary, African forms, and somatics modalities to to strengthen and refine um, movements. So we definitely envision a global consumer. And one of the ideas that I'm most excited about for Dancio is the dialogue, international dialogue of ideas that can take place. So what's happening in a studio in Shanghai is something that I can try in New York City without buying a plane ticket and maybe speaking Chinese and vice versa. And and what will happen when we have um, some of this creative and intellectual information circulating more fluidly the way we do in other arenas. So so the vision ultimately is that Dancio will have an enormous library of classes in many different forms of dance and that you can mix and match with your subscription for both exercises, maybe tondus from one class and a back exercise from another class and a combination um, from another class that can all be mashed together for your personal class that you create or that you simply have your favorite teacher that you take in your favorite form. You know, in terms of the mentorship and communication of live in-person ideas, Dancia will never replace that. And I think the future is daunting in terms of what we're really facing down the road in terms of computers being able to take over so many jobs. The idea that we need to have a biological substrate to have a sentient being is seriously in question right now. And I think that that jeopardizes our economic and practical employment future in ways that are incomprehensible. However, in a strange way, I think the handmade, the the in-person exchange will become more and more precious. So while I can't envision something like Dancio not existing and flourishing in five years' time. If it's not me and if it's not Dancio, someone will do this. This is this I I can't see this not existing. But I don't think it will ever replace the in-person preciousness of the in-person class and experience. But it will, I think, supplement it and alter the field. You know, when I go to class, I go to class pretty regularly. And I would say my teacher gives me a correction about once a year, if that. Now, there are other things that I get from the in-class experience, but in terms of feedback, it's hard to come by. And I think if you're in a more intimate class setting, um, be that in a small town or in um, a small-sized class, you may be able to get that more readily or or perhaps at the very high levels of performance. Um, you get these beautiful coaching and teaching that passes the tradition along. But but I think in many ways, you know, taking the, the, the corrections that are made 
are common corrections. And I think that those can be woven into the classes online so that students can begin to self-correct and sense their bodies. And at the very least, have an idea to work on that they can bring to their teachers when they go. Yeah, I definitely agree. And from a supplemental standpoint, it sounds truly like a wonderful idea because, you know, maybe you can't spend how much money it costs to be in class every day. When I first moved to New York City as a budding, aspiring dance artist, I couldn't afford class. That was one of the things I had to cut out, and I wish this was around during that time because I would have definitely at least given myself bar every day, which I really missed and wanted to do. And going back to what you were saying about not receiving corrections, uh, usually at a certain point an artist or a dancer knows what they need to do to to study and practice. And, of course, going to class, um, you get some feedback and corrections, but it sounds like such a great way to be able to just train yourself in that private space. I also really love the idea, too, of the access and geographic access for students who may be young and they might be taking classes at their local studio, but maybe they just want to see like what other styles or techniques are out there or what are other teachers providing in a class setting. So that does provide a lot of great access to people. And also, again, just going back to the idea of maybe there is a young dancer who just wants to start dancing, but perhaps can't afford classes and they are so very expensive. Absolutely. And and what we really want is for um, people who might be a little afraid to take a professional class, that they, this gives them a foray into that that way of working or that studio. If you are from a more rural area and you're going to New York for the weekend, it may feel a little scary to take a professional class. Well, you take them, you see what's familiar, what, how it works. This is what people are working on in this context. And maybe it builds, um, just a, a little more, a, a little sense of what else is out there. And we want to encourage teachers to use what's on there to share with their students. So we're going to, um, provide the music sold a la carte made available, very affordable as well. Affordability is super important to us with the idea of access for everyone. A dancer's budget is really lean. In New York City, according to the Dance NYC census, average New York City dancer makes $28,000 a year, works five jobs, and is highly educated. So $20 a day for class is totally exorbitant for yes. for that person. Um, so we, we are committed to keeping the price really affordable for people and likewise with the music. Um, but the idea being that a teacher could then turn and say, this is Julie Kent's combination for center. Let's go ahead and do it. And that teacher will have the music available for download. That's great. Yeah. I was thinking too, it would be such a great didactic tool for teachers. So it serves many purposes. We envision partnerships with colleges and dance organizations and that could be realized different ways. So perhaps Friday is Dancio Day. And from 10 to 12 on Fridays, students have a giant projection of the teacher of the week teaching the class of the week. And maybe their professor is there watching or maybe she's not. And maybe the students have this kind of collective experience with a projection. A projection is 
a projector is really affordable. A lot of studios, are, studios in academic settings are already equipped with them. And so the idea being that you could take this class as a group in your studio or you could take it in your living room. Yeah, it's truly amazing. What is the subscription model for DNCO? So right now, it's still being formed. Right now, the classes are available for a la carte rental, and we're actually about to launch a month-long rental of the four classes, which will precede our subscription model. The subscription model is based on a broader library of classes, which we are in development of now. And once we have a broad enough library, the monthly full access for the classes will be about $20 a month, the idea being that it's equivalent to the cost of one live class to have access to all of these online classes. So that's that's the plan for the time being. Yeah, that's amazing. And how have people been using the service so far, or um, what has been some initial feedback regarding um, how they've enjoyed interfacing with the platform? Well, so far we're very optimistic because the feedback has been excellent. People do tend to focus on the bar, so I'm curious to see, like in terms of how far into the video they play, the bars are played more frequently, and I'm curious to see how these analytics will pan out with a form that's not beginning at a bar, right? So if you're doing a rhythmic form, maybe you're doing Dunham technique, that doesn't begin off to the side and then progress that way, would dancers do the entire class or are they looking for that beginning part that's so valuable and then going into their own rehearsal? So we're not sure of all of the statistics of of those details, but we have been getting a lot of positive feedback from users all over the country, which is exciting, and some international users. And a lot of people just saying, give us more. And, and requesting a stretch class, requesting classes that address certain standards, such as um, people who would like to apply to a city ballet or ABT summer program, and they want to know what the standards are. Can you address these standards specifically? Will you give a men's class? So we're excited to meet all those needs, and our goal is actually to take everything that the users say and apply it. So we are really listening. Our ears are open. Other than our commitment to excellent quality instruction and teachers who are really well-respected in the field, we don't have a big agenda. We just want everything to be great. (laughs) So we are listening, and what users want, we will provide. Oh, that's important. I love that you're doing that, responding to need, because, I mean, that's what it's all about. And it's so funny. I first thought to myself, if I were to use this platform, and I very may well go sign up for it, um, I would want to give myself bar because sometimes that's all I want. I just want to just make sure I'm keeping my technique up because it's so easy to lose it after a while. And I'm not surprised at all that you're noticing a lot of people are using it for the bar aspect for reasons that you've already mentioned. I mean, sometimes you just can't make it to class, but you want to make sure you're getting the technique in, you're keeping your tendus. (laughs) And I also love that you're looking at developing other classes based on need because I'm sure we know every dancer has their weakness. Like they're good at jumps but not good at pirouettes. And I can imagine there being a major need for um, a skill-based or competency-based type of focus. Like 
um, this is how you strengthen your pirouettes or here's a good warm up for this or something like that. I can totally see that. I think we're going to have, and this will come down the road, initially we will be doing kind of classes that progress A to Z, but I would like to have down the road something called zoom-ins or maybe they'll be called something else where we really get into the breakdown of a pirouette or even jumps, something that's so common but there's so much room for. It's a very complex action actually and for someone to break down simple jumps thoroughly and clearly I think could be of great value because that's where you can get into not only the physical practice but the power of the mind in terms of visualization understanding the movement mechanics, the initiation patterns in a way that can really increase a dancer's skill and ability to execute a movement. So I'm excited about that too. Yeah, that's exciting. So I guess I'm curious about what are some of the practical things to keep in mind when filming a class and how are you making sure that certain elements are reading through to a viewer and how is it all integrated with the instruction, um, a visual of a dancer performing the movement and the music as well? Well, you know, our first series of classes was a big experiment. And fortunately, we have Nell Shelby filming of Nell Shelby Productions. And oh, she great. is she's so great. <laughs> she's so great. Yeah. And as a film expert and dancer, former dancer, she knows what where the eye needs to go to comprehend a movement. Um, so we had a three-camera shoot, all different perspectives, wide angle, close up, and so on. And she edited those together so that hopefully it's a seamless viewing experience for the um, user and that it's easy to comprehend. In time, we may do um, a varied perspective film so that the user could press a button while playing the film and see a wide zoom out of the dancer in motion. Right now, we have just tried to be as clear as possible, thinking like a dancer thinks, in terms of what we choose to frame and what the dancer sees. The day that we filmed, we asked the teachers to bring their students with them and to choose their students. And the reason we did that was so that the students were familiar with the teacher's teaching style, but also embodied the concepts that the teacher was communicating and can therefore provide a very clear model to the user. So that was one thing we did, getting the right sound quality for the piano and being able to extract it from the voice of the teacher was another thing that we did. So we actually had two mics inside of the piano to get the quality of sound that we wanted. Oh, great. Yeah. And um, we'll be continuing to work on that. We have the music being created on the spot so that in terms of intellectual copyright law, we are safe and it's um, we have all of the legal aspects worked out so that we don't have problems with using a certain piece of music and then later having it pulled because there's so much. We're in a an interesting time in terms of intellectual copyright and, and information sharing in terms that the, the law is being interpreted very liberally. But being artists, uh, you know, the company is founded by artists and we care about artists and we care about intellectual property. And our goal is to honor everyone's involvement. Therefore, the music is created live and on the spot. In our future business model, moving down the road, the teachers will receive royalties for the classes that they teach and and benefit from 
their classes being sold online. Yeah. It's always tricky when you're talking about trainings and providing trainings to a more expanded audience and ownership. That's a tricky question right now that a lot of technology-based training programs are facing. This is also an issue in the healthcare world as we're trying to make more trainings more available to more providers. So that's, I think, a big question for everyone at the moment. <laughs> so tell us about the free bar opportunity. Okay, well, anyone who goes to dancio.com can sign up for our mailing list and will be sent um, a link to the Julie Kent Ballet Bar. And if you refer a friend, you can get the whole class. Oh, perfect. So head on over to dancio.com. Check it out. (laughs) (laughs) So I know initially when you were designing this idea, did it come out of conversations and did it come out of um, sort of like a need that was expressed from people in the dance field in general? Or I guess you had mentioned how you came up with the idea, but where was the need expressed in the dance field in general? You know, I don't know that the need was verbally articulated outside of the casual conversations I had with friends and dancers. Um, But when I bounced the idea off of students, friends, dancers, and so on, everyone was really excited about it to have an option that doesn't exist right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in terms of the need being demonstrated online, I didn't have access to any of, say, the Google Analytics that might indicate dance class online. But I will say that when we started our marketing this fall, the first email that we got was, where has this been? I've been Googling for this for two years. Yeah. (laughs) That is a major problem for dancers that I think we can't underscore enough is just finding affordable class. And people have been finding different models to do that. Um, you know, providing more like crowdsource-based classes where you only pay $5 and another, everyone will take turns each day, you know, providing a class. But this does truly provide a really great option. I hope so. And actually, this is being created for dancers, meaning professionals, pre-professionals, and people passionate about dance. But down the road, I would like for the service to be expanded to include regular people and anyone who likes to move their body. Fitness, mental, physical rehabilitation, groups of any kinds. I went to a mega church in Texas, less as a spiritual practice and more as um, a social investigation. Mm -hmm. And what really struck me about the experience of going to a church with I don't know how many, 20,000 people in a stadium, was how many people stood up and sang together and raised their arms and clapped and how I think movement and song is such a basic human need Mm -hmm. and that we're starved for that. And I thought, okay, this is part of what people are coming here for. Um, and I didn't get the sense that it was so much the the um, message that everyone in there was responding to, but the communal experience of moving with music. And so I envision the future of Dancio to include regular people and movers so that not all of the classes will be something that are so 
high level that they're inaccessible Mm -hmm. and that let's say a group of moms in Nebraska get together and put on an African dance class and raise their arms and stomp their feet and move to the rhythms. That's something that really excites me. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of dawning new trends in the fitness field that they're calling intuitive movement. I mean, we've had yoga and Pilates and then CrossFit and this intuitive movement idea is just people using their bodies. And there's a simplicity to that and a beauty to that. There's also a lot of research coming out about the power of dance for rehabilitation, for heart health, for balance, for brain health. And I think that if we can get people using this by themselves or with friends Mm -hmm. in their basements at the YMCA, put that teacher on the wall and have a world-class Senegalese dance class Mm -hmm. in Oklahoma for the senior citizens. Absolutely. I love that idea. I absolutely love it, too. I mean, that has so much power and so much potential. And I love the idea that the quality will be super high without being difficult to approach for people. And And I think we have this idea that if it's real dance, then maybe it's too hard for me or I'm not a dancer. I think we really need to just like flush that whole way of thinking. Absolutely. And that the idea of people can watch a little first and then, okay, I'm just going to move my feet here. Oh, there's a rhythm. And then build on movements that feel relatively familiar and achievable Mm -hmm. that in time people will get more and more comfortable and and maybe fully liberated in their bodies and, and feel so much more than they knew they were capable of. And at the same time, our base... Um, is truly the dance community because the only way that our quality is going to be maintained is by working in partnership with the dance community. So that that's kind of the vision for the future. It's truly amazing. I absolutely love it. So much potential. And I love what you said about, you know, some of our intrinsic needs. And I have always said that the dance floor is my church. Mm. <laughs> Whenever I am truly my My truest form of me is when I'm fully letting myself go and just becoming a part of the music and the universe and dancing. And how amazing to just offer that to more people. And people are already doing this. You know, we watch music videos. We watch whatever's on YouTube and pick up whatever dance we can. And I just absolutely love the idea that you're offering all kinds of dance to people all over the world. And there's so much value in that. Thank you. I'm dance is a spiritual practice, indubitably. And I'm excited about the idea of a more embodied culture and the increase in empathy that I think that that will create. We talked a little bit about empathy mm-hmm. before we went live. Yes. And you know, we are at such a difficult, contentious time in our society where inequity and injustice of so many types is being discussed and unearthed. I don't know if unearthed is the right word because for many people it's been all too plain and visceral for too long. But the idea that sharing a movement experience through a screen or in any way and moving in a way that another person is moving creates bridges. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me to try out what I'm an American person, I've never even been to China, 
but to try out something that's happening in Shanghai is going to teach me something about being Chinese and what that feels like. And I may not even be able to articulate that or intellectually interpret that, but there will be something that comes to my physical embodied experience as a person that I wouldn't have understood otherwise. And I don't think that understanding gets more basic than when we understand one another through the body. So Mm -hmm. on a kind of deeper level than the the practical whole that I think Dancio fits, I'm excited about how this will affect us as individuals and potentially as a society. Yeah. And on that note, how it allows the healing power of dance, somatics and dance in general, to be available to more people. Because I don't think people truly realize how healing dance can be. And now they can just access it rather than, oh, I feel intimidated because I've never taken a class. I don't want to look stupid. Maybe there are no classes in my area. You're allowing the healing power of dance to be accessible, literally accessible to people. So Mm -hmm. that's really amazing. And there's certainly a lot of many barriers to people getting into a class. And the um, intimidation factor is not to be underestimated, particularly if dance has a potential to be a healing modality for an individual. There's so much trauma that's embodied. And Bessel van der Kolk writes so beautifully about this in The Body Keeps the Score. And he, he writes about how trauma is not an intellectual event. It is bodily. You, your heart races, you shake, you feel terrible. There's fear, anxiety. It's a very animal experience. I'm paraphrasing and I apologize, mm-hmm. Bessel van der Kolk, if I'm not accurately summarizing your teachings. But, but to be able to have an entry point to a different embodiment experience totally. is really powerful. And I think the idea of therapeutic movement is that you can try moving a little bit differently and you're going to feel a little different. Yeah. I just bought that book and can't wait to read it. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. great. So, so again, really wonderful idea and the potential for everything that can come of this is very exciting. So I'm excited to continue following it and see where it goes. Thank you. So tell us about your dance company, Trainer Dance, and um, what you've been working on recently. I founded Trainer Dance in 2011 to have a more official structure be able to create more readily and function within the system a little better, getting money for the dancers and resources that you need to have a little more structure for. Our work is highly physical, very musical. In some ways, it's celebratory. I do kind of three channels of work. One is that I do big group pieces on a traditional proscenium stage. I'm really excited by space and I love creating work that is really crafted, really virtuosic, really musical and very structured. I have another interest in site-specific work that tends to be a little more experimental, a little less involved with steps that have names Mm -hmm. and more involved with movement and the space and the location and and not being in this kind of container of the theater with the elements, the visual and auditory elements controlled. So being more 
permeable to the outside world. And with that, the idea of audience engagement in a really different way, having people walking through the space, having people video and talk and chat and having that be part of the work. And and the last branch is work that I actually physically do, which tends to be solos and duets. I have a partner named Caitlin Gilliland, who is a formerly trained ballerina, mm-hmm. and I have a series of um, duets that we work on together. And I also make solo pieces that tend to be a little more expressionistic, a little more personal in content relative to these kind of big spectacular dances that I do with the company and do not dance in because I need to uh, have an outside eye. And and so the work of the company and the form of the company is rather fluid and nebulous. And I like that about it because I find myself interest-wise swinging from a desire to make a beautiful piece that is musically sophisticated and can be viewed by really any person that may or may not have a history or a background in viewing dance and see as dance and enjoy for the sake of movement. And then I'm also interested in work that investigates ideas and is more provocative and and, um, addresses some of the the thoughts that can keep me up at night. Um, I love it, but I, I love that you just follow what you're interested in at the moment because that's where creativity truly comes from. If you feel like you're just following something because it's something you have to do, then that sort of takes creativity away. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, but you're right. I'm. I guess what's been nice about the last few years is I've been able to say, you know, I've been doing this long enough. I'm just going to do what I'm curious about. And mm-hmm. and what I'm excited about, and that should be what creativity always is. But I think in the hustle to survive in the city and to make it happen and to get opportunities and to get mm-hmm. the damn grants, there's so much difficulty. So if I just keep my internal compass like, this is your passion project, I know I just had to write five grants and nearly lost my noodles doing it, but mm-hmm. – um, if I can keep my my kind of um, compass pointed to bliss yeah. or curiosity, <laughs> then I'm on the right path. Definitely. And make way better stuff, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess what has been your experience with following your bliss and what you really want to present and the landscape in New York City, funders, like what they're looking for, um, what has been your experience overall? Well, you know – I've been living in New York for, let's say, since 2001, and um, I am a small-town girl, and I love dance that would be recognized as dance by my former self, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. I remember going off to college and being utterly confounded by so much of what I saw, (laughs) and I thought, like, is this dance? I don't know. And anything that I had to have a conversation about, whether it was or wasn't, wasn't really where my natural inclination was. Mm -hmm. I've made a couple of things like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But generally, I feel drawn to movements like leaping and turning and rolling and falling that feel like dance to me. And I do not think that that is where New York is at all. I mean, first of all, geographically and architecturally, we're usually in confined spaces. So the impulse to careen through space luxuriously 
is, I think, stymied by that. I also think the scene in New York is very intellectual. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have the right language for it. Um, experimental. And, and I have actually great respect for so many of my colleagues who are making in that vein. But it is definitely a different approach for me. The body is my main source and the intellect is something that usually comes later for me in the process of being able to describe and discuss the ideas that I'm getting at. The the body is the primary way that they manifest and, you know, words and discussion of them is therefore an abstraction. Mm -hmm. So all of that to say that I've felt a dissonance between my vision inside of myself and what's happening in New York and only in the past few years have I started to get the freedom from the the experience of pressure that I felt to mm-hmm. be something else and I just realized like oh your weakness is your strength that so so yeah no one's making a dancing dance I made a dance where where the dancers wear silk skirts full-length silk skirts and they dance to Mozart which outside of the ballet is considered crazy I think in New York um, and it felt great Mm -hmm. it was glorious and um that was really freeing for me just to say like f it i'm doing this and in terms of getting funding it it um doesn't usually happen when i pitch a piece like that i have made Mm -hmm. other pieces my most recent work was actually a piece called paint that took place in a gallery in the east village wherein the audience was armed with 36 paint loaded squirt guns that they unloaded on six women Mm -hmm. um wearing only white leotards so the entire gallery was covered with paint and the dancers were absolutely soaking wet oh my gosh um yeah so (laughs) actually that piece was quickly funded the first proposal um so so that tells you and and i loved that piece i enjoyed doing that even though it disturbed me in the sense that you know in the age of guns trump and me too the audience was so zealously engaged with the piece yeah. Which I was excited about, but also disturbed by. Um, anyway, the piece is more complex in, mm-hmm. in the sense of what's happening in the space. It might be considered performance art. And mm-hmm. and that was funded right away. And I think I probably could procure for further funding in New York mm-hmm. City to continue that investigation. But I'm also pitching right now to funders that is a site-specific Cinderella, which will be a kind of radical retelling of the fairy tale mm. with the really different outcomes, a kind of choose your own adventure. Oh, I love that. For mm-hmm. the audience. And it's harder because it's a fairy tale. And mm-hmm. outside of the ballet, that's that's a tough sell. You know, I, I want it to be an escapist fantasy, of course, with kind of tongue in cheek references and subversive values and, and so on, because I am, you know, ultimately a modern dance choreographer mm-hmm. um, and and perpetuating the classical values isn't um, mm-hmm. on my agenda, but it is a different kind of piece. So so it's it's something that I'm continually navigating yeah. and trying to figure out as I go, and I'll let you know when I have all the answers. I really respect, though, that you're following your impulse, because as an artist, that's your number one job. And there is a lot of intelligence and intellectual um, discoveries in the body in itself, and I've always said my body knows before my mind, you know, what's mm. really going on. And, yeah, sometimes when you let your body lead, you can make sense of it later. But that is actually how it happens in true psychology order. <laughs> Absolutely. My sister calls it the bodice, the body, the bodice, as in B-O-D-D-E-S-S. Oh, I love like it. Like the all-knowing. And, um, mm-hmm. and it's true, you know, 
I, I kind of think that one of the perils of the patriarchy is that we value words more than bodily experiences. Yes. And um, there's a hierarchical authority to a certain kind of logic that is very valuable, you know, like a linear mathematical type logic. But I think that the body actually does have an extreme amount of intelligence. It's just that we can't necessarily comprehend it or mm -hmm. put it on paper in a certain way that mm -hmm. that um, validates it. Absolutely. A lot of feminists and performance studies um, theorists have written quite a lot about that, and I can't really quote them verbatim in any way, but um, just talking about starting with Plato, Western society has always valued the mind over the body and separated the two when the two truly are united. And, and in that way, um, dance has always been positioned as that lower art form. And perhaps that's why there is this really big focus on the intellectualism, the experimentalism in dance right now. Mm -hmm. But I think if we just allow all of it to be intellectual and experimental in its own way, yeah. So I'm really excited to see your pieces in the future and see where you land with the site-specific piece. And it's also very interesting what you said about what funders are interested in. Right now, funders in the field in general, they're really interested in this considering site and also integration into gallery spaces, sort of like that merging between the visual arts and the performance art and how the two come together in a tactile engaging way with observers and participants so that's not surprising at all but but I commend you again for just following the impulse that you want to follow and there's definitely value in that thank you is there anything else that you want to share just one thing that I'd like to mention um, we are in the process of creating a crowdsourcing opportunity for small investors to invest in Dancio so we are still putting the pieces together but the idea is that unlike a crowdsourcing campaign for a nonprofit or a dance company where the return on investment is that you took place in creating a new work, investors in Dancio would actually get a monetary return over time. So we are in the process of putting together an online platform so that anyone who says, hey, this is a brilliant idea I want in, can actually invest very small sums of money or, of course, large sums of money um, to get the project on the ground. And the sooner we get fully funded and fully invested, the sooner we can create that full library of classes and have dance for everyone on earth. <laughs> That's great. You heard it here first. Your investment opportunity begins now. Thank you so much for joining me, Caitlin. Thank you.